You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Good morning, church. Yeah. We're going to be continuing our discussions on the names of God, which we've been going through. I'm sure we've all learned a lot of Hebrew uh, in, the past, uh, in the past month or so. Now we know Gibor, Rahum, huh? We all this, we know these names that we didn't know before. What a great thing to actually study who God is. You know, somebody was saying uh, yesterday that uh, you can know about God, but know God, not know God. So you can know about him, but not know him, but you actually can't know him and not know about him. You know, so as we grow in knowledge, you know, it's part of our godly journey of growing in knowing him. Amen. So this morning we're going to be continuing with that, um, but just before we get into it, I was actually thinking yesterday that um, our faith as Christians is radically different from anything else in the world. Radically, radically different. And it's not different because we believe in God. Many people believe in God, isn't it? Even demons believe in God. That is not the thing which makes our faith different. But what makes it different is our belief in Jesus. You see, the God we believe in is different from the God of the world. It's the Godhead, isn't it? Our belief and our faith in Jesus is what makes us distinct as a people. And we can never lose that reality. Sometimes we get a little bit confused and we think it's about believing in God in a general sense that all of the world believes in. But it's not. It's about believing in a specific God uh, who is the Trinity, isn't it? The Godhead. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is our way and our access into that Father. You see, when Jesus came and he walked on earth, we know he was the son, right? So part of the Godhead, but he left the glories of heaven and said, I want to bring these people into the realities we're enjoying. I want to bring them into a different dimension, into a different reality they've never seen before. So he came, he entered earth, he was incarnate, walked as a man. And in that particular period in time, he was the son, but now was clothed in the skin of a man, and hence was called Jesus in those, in those years, right? So it was called Jesus as he walked the earth, and the whole thing was that he must bring salvation to us. And we know that we are saved from our sins, isn't it? But too often we actually think of salvation as just the from our sins part. But we're not just saved from our sins, we're actually saved to God as well. It's the other side of salvation is actually adoption. So we are saved, yes, and it's glorious, but we are also adopted. And we need these two realities to be constantly at the back of our minds, to be constantly a reality that we actually walk out. Now, when Jesus was actually walking in those days, he recruited followers, you know, some of whom were the disciples, but he had more followers than just the disciples and the apostles. Now, his followers would have observed him day in, day out, living his life and saying, wow, you know, what, what kind of guy is this, you know? Uh, the, the storms listen to him, you know. He speaks to water, it becomes wine. What kind of guy it is this, you know. Um, you know, so some people w would want him as the guest at their party all the time and just purchase the water, you know. But that kind of power and authority that Jesus walked in was never seen before. You know, every other person came and said, I'm sent by so-and-so. I'm representing so-and-so. He came and said, I am, you know. Like, I am here, you know. What kind of person, what kind of man is this, you know? And we see the introduction of 
when they started to actually notice all of this, one of the first things they came and asked Jesus about is his prayer life. They came and said, Jesus, but we've seen you pray, man. This is, this is hot prayers. How do we pray like you? Can you teach us to pray? And that's the name that we're going to get to today. Okay, Matthew 6. So it's a name which has become so common to us that often we actually lose awe for it. We lose a sense of appreciation for what God has actually done. Now, in Matthew 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you will not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So now they come to Jesus, and they are learning to pray, right? And the first thing Jesus is aware of is that they exist in a culture where prayer is common. It's not like our culture where if you were to go and say, teach me to pray, it's because of, uh, you know, there's a sense of lack of praying, isn't it? But in that culture, it was easy to see religious pr people praying wherever you went. So you would see people praying, you know, standing and praying for long prayers. They could pray for hours and they wouldn't even break a sweat. But the first thing he says is challenges the religious way of praying, isn't it? He says, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray where? Where they are seen. Where people can see them and observe them. And he says, I tell you, they have received their reward. And this is an important reality is that if we actually live for the eyes of people, that is our reward. That people saw us. There is no other reward except that. So if we are serving God and then we have a sense of tingling sensation because someone saw us serve, we have our reward. There is no other reward except that. So we have to be careful to set our heart straight to be about God and not about anything else and not about the eyes of people. Okay? So that's the first thing that Jesus does is that he challenges the norms of prayer of the day and says prayer does not look like that. And then he continues in verse 6 and says, But you, when you pray, go in your room and when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So now he introduces something new. He introduces the father, and that's the name we're going to be talking about here, God the Father. So he introduces to them to say, okay, you've seen how those guys pray, but what I want you to do is to pray to the father in secret. Now, this would have been a culture, they, the Jews were very strange in that they killed Jesus because he said God was his father, right? So their big deal was not that God is our father. Their big deal was that Abraham is our father. Only once in John 8 do you see them claiming that God is their father, but they are only doing so as part of their argument that they belong to Abraham. So the big deal with their prayers were never God as a personal father. Do you understand that? It was always we belong to Abraham and therefore we rightfully have access to the real and living God, not necessarily as a father. So when Jesus says this at this point in time, you can imagine that this is actually a radical statement which is making, that you are praying to your father. You're not praying to anyone, but you are praying to your father who is in heaven. And he introduces the first element of the father that we should be aware of. It's not really the first time he speaks about the Father in necessarily in Matthew, because it's part of the Sermon of, on the Mount. He had already started speaking about the Father, but I'll mention a little bit about that as well. 
Now, he says the first thing he introduces here is that the father is the one who sees us serving him in secrecy. That's the father. Sometimes we get tired of, it, of actually, you know, praying in secrecy and not seeing things happening. But the father is the one who sees us. And remember what he had said before, your prayer is not about being seen by men. It's not about who knows and who doesn't know. It's about the father. So he takes prayer from the public streets into the private rooms. That's what he does. Now, the father is the one who sees us serving him when nobody else does. He sees us praying when nobody else actually sees us. He sees us crying when nobody else actually sees us. That's the father. You know, it's, uh, it's sort of a, it's a name that we would have encountered in the Old Testament as well, where he's called El Roy. That's the God who sees. But he adds something here. It says, he sees in secret, but rewards in public. So you might be doing it in secret and no one sees, but God is going to reward you publicly. God is going to reward you publicly, but he will not reward you publicly for what you are doing for public eyes. Because the reward is that you've been seen. So when we pray, we must actually not have almost a religious and a Pharisee mindset and heart toward it, but we must have God is my father type of attitude towards it. And you can see that this changes a lot. When I'm praying and I know I'm praying to my dad, it changes a lot. But one of the first things he does here is that as he's introducing the father, he says, when you pray, you are praying to who? Your father. So he's introducing something important here. Whereas with some of the names we saw is that Jehovah Jireh didn't come and manifest himself as a consequence of Abraham praying for provision. He manifested himself because there was a need for provision and he sent the ram, isn't it? Abraham didn't pray and say, Lord, give me a ram. He didn't pray that. In fact, his faith was that even if I kill this boy, God is going to raise him from the dead. That was his faith, right? But Jehovah Jireh came and brought provision. But the father is different because the father is linked to prayer. So the father is linked to prayer, meaning that the father is linked intrinsically to our relationship with God. And hence, the other side of salvation is adoption. We cannot know the father. We cannot walk with the father apart from prayer, apart from reading the word, literally having a relationship with him. That's how the father is. Okay, let's read the next verse. It says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. We get caught in this, eh? Like we get kept caught in this, you know. If somebody comes and says, okay, Ruzani, pray for me. And then I just give this two-second prayer. You know, they're not blessed. You know, they're not blessed. They want at least 10 minutes, you know. They want to see some sweat and say, wow, this guy prayed for me, Okay. And even for ourselves, you know, you might have had a powerful one minute with God, but because it wasn't two hours, you think less of it. You see, we might actually be caught in the heathen mindset. The heathens, in a simple sense, these are a group of people who were disconnected from God and had found alternative religious mechanisms of connecting with the deity. 
but these were people who were disconnected. And you can see that the way that they prayed, they thought if we actually say a lot of stuff, okay, and we actually repeat a lot of stuff, we babble on, we babble on, then God will hear us. But it is not our case. It is not our case. God hears us because we are sons. God hears us because why? He introduced us before. We are praying to our Father. Okay. In first, uh, in first John 5, it speaks about this where, you know, it says that the, this is the confidence that we have that when we pray, he actually hears us. And because we know he hears us, we know we're going to be answered, you know. In verse 14, he says, remember, he had written this entire book of John, and as he starts to concluding, and he says, I've written this so that you may be sure that you have eternal life. This was a book of assurance of their identity in Christ, where it was being challenged by the Gnostics at that particular point in time. But anyway, if you don't know who the Gnostics are, I would highly recommend Bible school. Okay. And then it says in verse 14, right, after he's introduced all of that, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to this will, he hears us. He didn't say if we actually pray long, and we actually repeat ourselves, and we actually do this and we do that. No, he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, we are asking from a place of relationship because the will is not discovered accidentally. You actually go into the word and you discover the will. And when you start to pray in accordance with that, that gives an assurance that he's heard us, not our vain repetitions as the heathens think. And it says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's what it says. So you can see that the mindset of the heathens were, was clearly a mindset which was not connected to God as a father. It was more a performance, right? If I perform hard enough, then God will. And we ourselves get caught in this, and we need to be careful to be free from this kind of reality. It's not that God is against repeating yourself in prayer sometimes you're just caught in the emotions in just the beauty of the moment and you find nothing more precious than just saying holy 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 forever and you never stop there's nothing wrong with that but what this was is that it was a, a religious ploy you know like in the you know in the in some in some versions of christianity Okay, I won't say which one, but they'll count, uh, they'll, you'll have the necklace. I won't give too much description, lest you, you think I'm talking about anyone particular. You know, you'll have a necklace, and the necklace has beads, isn't it? And when you pray, you are going through each one, and you repeat your Hail Marys. Oh, I just gave it away, uh, you know? And, and you repeat your, 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 your Hail Marys, but you are caught in this vain repetitions, and you feel like, if I don't get through my beads, then God didn't hear us, you know? then I didn't do what I was actually supposed to do, okay? So that's not the way it is with the Father, because we are praying to our Father. Okay, let's read the next verse. In verse 8, it says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Remember when we spoke about Jehovah Jireh, we said that He actually makes the provision before the need occurs. So he goes and sets up. So, you know, the example there was that as Abraham and his son were climbing up, the ram was also climbing up on the other side. 
In other words, Jehovah Jireh was already making provision for that moment where Abraham would need the actual lamp, isn't it? So it's the same with God. When we are praying, he already knows. Sometimes we go to him in prayer and we pray like he just got, he just found out we actually have a need, you know? Like he just discovered it right now and he is really freaked out and he doesn't know how, what he's going to do. So we have to really push him to actually do something. But it, the father is not like that. We come to him, he already knows. So you see, the father has a lot of the elements of the names we've actually been talking about. He's, he has the Elroy elements. He has the Jaira elements. He has a lot of those elements. And because those elements, those names are revealing to us different aspects of the father. Okay, but it's so important that we have a, you know, must chill, you know, chill, you know, just relax. God knows he's not finding out the day you tell him he knows and he's already made provision. Okay, he's already made provision. All he was waiting for is also for you to reach that state. It's interesting that the covenant between Abraham and God was of course you know he had already told him okay abraham i'm gonna do this for you man you're gonna have kids they're gonna be as many as the stars as many as the sand but still you know abraham was just not getting was just not getting it so what god did is that he started blessing abraham like nobody's business okay this guy became wealthy 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 and at a point he became so rich that he started to realize my gosh i am rich i am so rich now i have a problem who am I going to leave all these things to? You know, it's a, it's a thing he wouldn't have thought of as a, you know, a non-rich person. But because now he had assets, he was starting to think, okay, who am I going to leave my assets to? And then that sense of, okay, I need a child. You know, it started to become so real to him. He started to connect with God's vision for his life that God entered into a covenant with him. Even though he was thinking, but I have the slave, you know. Maybe this loyal slave can actually take over and run, you know, things after I'm gone. So God is also, the father has that similar thing in the sense that he's waiting for us to also reach that place, right? And when we reach that place, we can be assured that he's not surprised by our need. He already knows it and he's made provision. And maybe our prayer should be, Lord, reveal the provision already put in place. You know, reveal to me what you've already done in this case. In verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So even when he introduces them into how you're going to approach prayer, he emphasizes the same thing again. Start by recognizing he's your father. He is your dad. And when you start like that, it should set the trajectory of the rest of your prayer, the tone, the feeling, how you're actually approaching it, because you are recognizing that he's your dad. It's not just... You know, sometimes we pray and we say all these things about God, but we don't connect with it. You know, we'll say, God, you are the Lord of glory. You know, you're the Lord of hosts. You are the warrior of warriors, but we don't connect with it. But he's saying connect with this reality when you begin your prayer. He is your father. He is your dad. The other side of salvation is adoption. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay which is interesting is that this is the next thing he then tells us to pray so the reason i find this very fascinating is that so he had spoken before and said okay don't go to god like he's going to be shocked by your need right 
he knows what you need before you pray, so that should change the way you pray. And it says, okay, when you pray, start by recognizing and being in that state of attitude that he is your father. But then he says the next thing is call on his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, that's different. So yes, you have a need, but align that area of need to his kingdom. Because in his kingdom, there isn't lack. So it might be that that thing is not necessarily being fulfilled as we want because it's become even an idol. You know those prayers where we get into that state of just that desperation that nothing else matters, you know? That's all that matters. God, if you don't give me this, I will even die, you know? Uh, you know, I'm, it's going to be the end of me. It's going to finish me. I will never be happy again, you know? But that's very idolatrous language. So we need to have this attitude to say, okay, maybe it's an issue of misalignment with kingdom. In fact, let's actually read on in verse, in the same chapter. Okay, in verse 25, right? It says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than them? Do you see that attitude, right? He said, don't worry. These things which are consuming our time, which we have made our lives about, those are not the things we should be making our lives about. And it says, if you don't trust that God can actually provide and do this, look at creation. So you can almost imagine it like this, right? That God is your father, but is also the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company who has employees. He's saying all the employees get paid. All the employees get paid. How much more will you, who he actually loves, who he actually cares about, who he actually values more than all those employees? Imagine Bill Gates' child, you know, running around begging for bread. That would be so odd. The only thing which would make that make sense is that the child has been cut off from the father. But there are some things which should only make sense for us to do because we are living as cut off. We are not cut off. The other side of salvation, the other side of the salvation coin is adoption. Okay? And it says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You're not going to get taller by worrying. Eh? Changes nothing. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like this. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's interesting. He is clothing things which he has not necessarily put an intention as he, asked, as he has on us to use. How much more us on whom he has the intention to use. So it's like you are, you know, throwing a party, and at that party there are items you have no intentions of, of using. They're, maybe they're even going to stay in the cupboard, but you pay so much attention to how beautiful they're going to be. How much more the things which are going to be used, how much more the things which people are going to see. We are those things. We are what God is going to use. We are God's channel here on earth, isn't it? 
How much more then? Okay. Then it says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Often, our Christianity is about this. Often, our Christianity is about this. And I want to tell you, saints, when it is about this, it is because we are living as people disconnected from the Father. When it's about getting stuff, when it's about getting bigger and better, and we don't actually make it about the kingdom. And it says, listen to what it says in 32. It says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles, once again, these are a people disconnected from God. So you are just seeking the same things as a person disconnected from God. That's what it's saying. But it says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So it's not to say those things are wrong. It's not to say those things are bad. It's to say those things should never be the focus of our lives. Our focus should remain the Father. And our Father knows that we need clothes. You know? He knows that we need to be arrayed like the lilies. You know? He knows that we need food. He knows that we need all these things. So those things should never be the focus. What should be the focus then? It says, but seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, and tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. So there he says it, that we shouldn't actually be making those things our focus, but the focus should be the kingdom of God. Which is interesting, because it says, if you focus on the kingdom, then these things will be added. It goes back to the Lord's Prayer, right? Where he said, God knows your needs, and when you pray, start by acknowledging he's your father, and then ask for his will, ask for his kingdom. Do you see, sometimes the position of need, the position of lack we find ourselves in, could be a position of being dispositioned. We're just standing at the wrong place. So it could be that we shouldn't be obsessing about what we don't have, but we should be obsessing about being aligned with the kingdom. We should be obsessing about being in right standing with God. And maybe as a consequence of a right standing, he will fulfill what he says. And he definitely will. Because God is not like a man. He's not a liar. What he says is true. So we need then to make our endeavor and our focus area to be what? The kingdom of God. Okay. I was actually reading this and I found it interesting just to connect it to, to what we've been talking about on Sunday. Okay. Every time I think about it, I actually forget. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Okay, let me read it in ESV. I think I read it in ESV. Okay, I can't remember which version. Okay, let's read uh, Philippians 4, verse 8. Okay, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. So in another version, it will say that the God, that God will guard, the God of peace will guard your hearts and mind. I just can't remember which version it is. Okay. But this then shows 
connecting back to what we were talking about in Matthew 6, right? He says, don't worry about these things. Don't obsess about these things, right? And he actually reiterates here and says, actually, your focus area should be the kingdom. So now when you're thinking about what to occupy your mind with, it's not your stresses, it's not your anxieties, it's not your worries. What it is, 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 is this thought actually noble, okay? Is this actually praiseworthy? Is this virtuous? Is this pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? These are the things you should meditate on and add to that, do the things which you read in scripture. Do the things which our leaders actually demonstrate to us. And as you do that, God will guard your mind and heart. You see, when we are actually allowing ourselves to exist in that state of constant paralysis by analysis, by worrying, by anxieties, we are unguarding our hearts. We are unaligned with God the Father and our hearts are not guarded. It is at that point in time where an opportunity for things that normally would not actually even touch us, attacks which wouldn't even scratch us, it is at that point in time that they can't scratch us because our obsession is not God. Our obsession is other things, isn't it? So we need to have this disposition that God is our Father and not move from it. And one thing that Jesus introduces here is that God is our Father, and one of the things that the Father does is that he sees in secret and rewards openly. Therefore, we should never tire of serving him. He is not impressed by our religious performance. Instead, he is impressed by relationship. So we should make every endeavor to have a relationship with the Father. And he knows what we need before we even ask him. He's not surprised by our needs report, you know? It's not like, like, sure, okay, I didn't know that was going on. Let me stop spinning the earth for a second and sort you out. No, he is actually already aware, and he will, he will actually meet each and every one of those needs. But then he also teaches us that we need to align to the kingdom. The Father is about the kingdom. He's about his will. Like, it's, it's, it's probably one of the scariest things that you will see so clearly as you read scripture is that God, more than anything, is about himself. He's about his glory. He's not about our glory. We only experience glory because we align with his glory. He's about him. So it's very important then to leave our dispositions which are not aligned to him and come to him. We shouldn't get onto the boat and then invite him on the boat when we are there, isn't it? And say, Jesus, rock up, okay? I'm in the boat now, okay? I've made massive career changes, show up now. <laughs> Where else we don't ask him beforehand? He should say, change your career, right? He should say, move. He should say all of that, okay? Interesting enough, so I'm not, uh, I'm not relationally apt enough to actually understand this, but one thing which i have noticed uh especially with ladies you know it's like it's almost like one lady you know gets an opportunity let's say to go work in the states for the next 10 years um what the lady has to do with the rest of the friendship group is almost ask them for permission you know they must engage and get advice you know to hear okay am i i'm just thinking this thing is here i'll see you guys in 10 right you know i'm out of here but the truth is, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the friendship, there is elements where you actually have to ask your friend's permission before you make a drastic life decision. 
you know, Munewa has a twin, so I'm sure she can relate to this more than all of us. You know, the deeper the relationship, the more you actually have to ask. You can't just move to Cape Town. You have to say, my friend, I'm thinking of moving to Cape Town. What do you think? This is the opportunity. This is what's going on. Then the friend will say, okay, this, this, and that. Have you thought about, uh, you know? And then eventually you move to Cape Town in peace. If you just move to Cape Town, then the friendship could even collapse, you know? It's the same even when, you know, you, you imagine your friend, one of your best, best friends, okay, just calls you over and says, Chomps, I got married. You know, I got married last week. It's been the most wonderful thing. Your first thing is not going to be, yay, you know, I'm so happy for you. It's going to be like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you didn't tell me, you know, like it's any of your business. But because it is. The deeper the friendship, the more that is required. Now, our relationship with God should be deeper than any human relationship, which means that there is nothing, there is no major decision that we should ever make without actually consulting the Father. Because that's deep, right? If it's shallow, that's where we can change jobs as we wish. We can move cities as we wish. We can change churches as we wish. It's because we are not connected to the Father. But when we are connected to the Father, there are decisions we, we can't just make. It's impossible to actually just make those decisions. Okay? Now, let's look at one more, one more example of the Father, which Jesus mentions in the same uh, sermon in Matthew 7. Okay. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Okay, so let's pause there. So now he's going to get to explaining the father, but he's paralleling the father with human fathers, isn't it? So this is important. Then it says, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent, okay? In other words, your son comes and asks for good, but you respond with evil. So it says, a sane father, a father who has his mentals working right will not do that. A child can't come asking for good and then the father gives evil, okay? And then it says, if you then being evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Isn't that interesting? So he's saying all these fathers, okay, you as a father, you, all of you, compared to God, you are evil. And yet you know, how to, how to, you, know, you know how to do good. How much more the God who is absolutely good, how much more will he do good? But notice he adds a condition to those who ask him. Because the father is relational. The father is very, very relational. He wants to know us. I have always found it very weird that in uh, the same chapter, in verse 21, it would say, they would come and say, we did this, we did that, we did that. And then Jesus says, oh, but I didn't know you. He didn't say you didn't know me. He says, I didn't know you. I'm just like, but Jesus, that's weird. Because you're supposed to know everything, right? How can you say you don't know me? But that's because it's relationship. And we must reveal to God. We must chat to God. We must talk to God. 
That's what the Father is after. The Father is not after our performances. The Father is not after our money. The, fa the Father is after our heart. That is what he's after. That is his big interest area. And he wants us too to be a people who are after his heart as well. In fact, Jesus, uh, no, not Jesus, Paul, he speaks about how he is very known. He's well known by God. Like, what kind of person is, what does that even mean? But that means relationship. That's all it is. It's relationship, and we should walk in relationship with the Father. Now, the revelation, in, in fact, there's actually, let's do one, in, one last interesting one about the Father. In our Matthew, Matthew 16, so that same book. Okay. Okay, so we've seen the Father as, in a sense, those gyra attributes. We've seen that Roy attributes. We've seen that, you know, he's interested in relationship sort of attitude. But this adds another interesting layer to, to the Father as well. In verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do me men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I would have answered and said the Son of Man. I, that's what I just felt like he said it there, right? I would have, okay, but anyway. Uh, then he said, so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, this is important because sometimes we get stuck here. You know, you say, who is God? You know, how would you describe God? Who is God? And so forth. And you actually don't go beyond what you've heard somebody else say. You actually don't go beyond what the pastor has said. We need to go beyond that. Remember what he said about the Father, where you meet him? In the secret place. We need to be a secret place people all we know about the Father cannot be from what other people have said. It needs to be from what the Father says as well. Okay? Then he says, um, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay? So Peter has been, he's been taught prayer. Remember, 10 chapters ago, Jesus taught him to pray. So you can rightly assume that Peter started praying to the Father the way that Jesus taught him. And as he was talking to the Father, as he was talking to the Father, the Father started saying, oh, by the way, did you know, you know who Jesus is? You know, do you know who this guy is that you guys are walking with? That, that's actually my son, eh? Yeah, that, that's my boy, um, you know? And, and uh, he, 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 he's the one that's going to bring salvation to the world. And then Peter's like, really? Oh, that's so fascinating, Father. Okay, and he keeps praying, he keeps praying, keeps praying. Then one day Jesus comes and says, oh, who, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, okay, me, 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 okay? You are the son of the living God, okay? And then Jesus is like, wow, okay, you've been spending time with the Father. That's his first response. You've been spending time with the Father. This is not from flesh and blood. And that's what the Father does when we spend time with him. He reveals to us who he is, 
he reveals to us even, um, you know, who other people are. You know, he, he, you remember it says in, in 1 Corinthians, right, chapter 2, it says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what the Father has prepared, what God has prepared for those who love him, right? But then he adds and says, but the Spirit, isn't it? The Spirit actually reveals those things. That's the, the Father reveals them. Not everything remains mysterious. You know, some of us, uh, you know, we hear uh, um, a good message on prayer that, look, if you want God to answer your prayers, pray in alignment with the will of God. And then you get stuck there. Because you're like, oh, no, not the will of God, not this thing, okay? Because that's the mysterious thing that we'll never know, that we can't find out. But when you spend time with the Father, you discover his will. When you spend time with the Father, you align more with how you ought to pray. When you spend time with the Father, he reveals who he is, he reveals who his son is, he reveals who the spirit is, he reveals who you are. He reveals who you are. Remember, they killed Jesus because he came and said, um, by the way, I am the son of God. And they said, what? Is this guy crazy? How can you say that? You know, when we read about it today, we don't actually get the gravity of what that actually meant in those times, in those sort of times, and how the Hebrews and the Jewish people would have interpreted it. They would have interpreted it as he was saying he is of the same substance as God. The same stuff God is made of are made of that stuff. That's what they would have heard. So, obviously, then they were like, no, this is some blasphemous stuff, right? Remember, even the early Christians, by their uh, context at that point in time, they were considered almost atheists because they didn't believe in any of the gods of the time. And yet they were doing this weird stuff in the name of this guy, Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Who are these guys? So when he said, I am the son of God, he wasn't just saying, oh, yeah, you know, me and God are related. No, he was saying same substance. In fact, you could take them back and say, you see, when you consider the womb of Mary, Okay, the stuff that uh, made, made her pregnant was not what human beings use. It was from heaven. But it's the same here, is that what God then says to Peter, he speaks identity to him. You see, when we actually discover the Father, we discover us. Sometimes we are still stuck on the level of being mere men, of still desiring what Gentiles desire, still praying as heathens do. But we need to spend time with the Father and be elevated and actually walk as we should and actually live as we should. That's the level we should be at. We shouldn't be, there is nothing ordinary about us. Our birth was supernatural. It was caused by the Holy Spirit. It's just that in Jesus' case, it was literally a physiology, a biology sort of intervention to bring Jesus into being. And that was part of a bigger purpose. But our salvation is also supernatural. No one can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. It's impossible. We only get to that place because God is involved. We only get to that place because the Father draws, draws us, isn't it? So uh, we ourselves, we are not ordinary people. We are not normal. What great love that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. That's First John 3, isn't it? Verse 1. We are the children of God. But what we'll be is not even known, right? Because we're going to be exactly like what, how Jesus is. 
Remember Jesus? So he's not, uh, you know, we're not going to go there and see the same rabbi, okay? We're going to see a different, a different being in a sense. When John saw Jesus in Revelations, he couldn't recognize him. And just like, but bro, you spend so much time on this guy's chest, surely, you know? Surely by now you know something about him. But it's because it was a different sort of body which he had on, a more glorious body. But that's the body we are going to. That's what we're going to walk in, isn't it? But even before we get there, right here on earth, we can start to live a life which is not ordinary. Because the Bible tells us that as he is right now, not as he was, as he is, there is an element that we should live as he was. We should do what he did. But there's an element of as he is, so are we. But we can't get to those realities apart from the revelation from the Father. We need the Father to reveal to us who he is, to reveal to us how Jesus is, so that we can walk out as he is. So are we here on the earth. How much more radical? I mean, we hear stories which are ridiculous, but we always remove those stories as a possibility for us. We hear stories of Reinhard Bonker who walking through a mall, people run away and scream. And then he asked Jesus one day and said, but why do people always do this? And Jesus says, well, I stay in you and sometimes I look through the, window, the windows, which is your eyes. So people just see fire when, a guy is, when the guy is walking. I mean, Smith Wigglesworth, he would be in a train and people would come screaming and shouting and crying at his feet saying, you convict me of sin. Can you imagine? But those were not mere men. Those were people that walked with the Father. Those were people who had a revelation of who the Father is, of who the Son is, of who the Spirit is, and they had a revelation also of who they are in the Father. They were not mere men at all. So saints, my encouragement is to say, let's not obsess about what God is not obsessing over. God is not too obsessed about what we have and don't have. He is fully aware of all of that, and he is setting it up for your provision and for your good. He is a good father. He looks after us. One of the primary things we've seen about the father right now is that the father is the one who knows our needs and he will provide. So saints, we shouldn't tire. We shouldn't tire spending time with God in secret. In fact, if our highlights of our walk with God are always in public, I have to question our relationship with the Father. Our highlights should be where nobody sees. God should say things to us that he's never, he, he, he's never, not necessarily he's never told anyone, but we didn't hear it from a person. But he says it to us in secret and says, I want to tell you something. We should have an active and a lively secret place. Otherwise, we will get ourselves caught in the position where we are not about the kingdom, but about the things. That we want this added, we want bigger this, one bigger that, one bigger that, bigger that, bi you know? And you know what's funny is that we will find doctrinal positions to actually support our errors. Because that's what we do, right? We Google scriptures which align with our errors. We will find it. But what we won't find from all that Google is a genuine, lively, active relationship with the Father. That part we'll only find from the secret place. So my call is simple.
Let's get back to the secret place. And let's be about the Father's business. The work of salvation is also a work of adoption. But everything that the Father actually commands us is family business. When it says go, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, it changes meaning. It's no longer this God in heaven who is there giving me these commands, but it's my dad at home. It's my dad in the secret place saying, why don't you just go and share the gospel with this guy? And we want to do it. Do you know what I've seen with uh, little boys in particular? Even little girls, actually. They have uh, like this hero status about the father. Maybe it's because the mother spends too much time. I don't know. But there's just a difference about how they view their father versus how they view their mothers. They view their fathers in a sense of a heroic sense. And what is sure is that, especially for the boys, they will live out most of their lives trying to make their fathers proud. Just trying to make their fathers proud. In fact, research has actually shown that uh, in households where fathers are present, the children, by default, are likely to succeed, irrespective of whether there's money or not. Just the presence of the father in the house. So just knowing the father will start to create that child heart in us where we can actually, I want to make my dad proud. I'm going to share the gospel with someone because I want to make daddy proud. But I'm not caught in a Pharisee sort of mindset. I have to be seen by somebody doing it. I just need to be seen by my father because that's who I'm after. That's who I want to make proud. Oh, actually, this, this sin, I, I'm not going to do it because if I do it, then my dad won't be proud but I just want to make daddy proud. And that's why it tells us, you know, in Romans 8, let's close with this. In verse 15, it says, for you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't that interesting? The spirit of adoption allows us to actually cry out and say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy God. It's a different level of endearment that we have towards God. It's more than just Father, but it's Abba Father. It's nearer. It's more intimate. It's closer. And that's where we should be walking. That's what sh we should be about. So, Let's just spend time praying. I would recommend reading the entire Sermon on the Mount. Um, in fact, when he starts the, you know, the first mentions of the, the Father on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, he actually speaks about when you do your good deeds and then men see them, they should give your Father glory. You know, it's about God's glory. So we've spoken about El Gibor. So you can see that element as well in the Father, isn't it? Uh, but the whole Sermon on the Mount, I would really recommend it to read it, and I would recommend reading the whole of Romans 8, that emphasis on adoption, that emphasis on actually walking in relationship with the Father is in fact so strong through Scripture. So maybe I recommend all of Bible, okay, uh, just to read it. But let's just stand and let's pray as we come to a close. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.